Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Father, we thank you for your word. And we also, Lord, we're mindful of the coming elections. And so we just take a moment to pray over that right now. We, we thank you, Lord, that you're the king over all the earth. And Lord, we can't vote for you, but we've already pledged our allegiance to you with our heart. And so with the government structures that exist in the United States of America, Lord, we do pray. I pray for each and every one of us that you would show us what to do, you would show us how to do it. I pray that you would unite the body of Christ and that we would not be divided, that the systems and the structures of this world would not have that kind of power over your church. And so, Lord, we pray that you would raise up a righteous standard, and we ask, Lord, for accountability in every office, every government position. We pray that you would expose wickedness, and we pray that there would be a new accountability in our land. And we ask, Lord, also for those that take office, we ask that you would protect them, that you would provide for them. But Lord, more importantly, we ask that every person, every man, every woman in every government position would have a legitimate opportunity to call Jesus Christ Lord. We ask for a born-again experience to sweep across the United States of America. And I don't know what the world is doing, but we as your church are praying and we're asking that a revival would come. From every sphere of society, we pray for it. And so, Lord, we will not be deterred and we will not be distracted. As we do cast our votes, we ultimately know that our true trust is in you alone. And so we thank you. I pray you would lead us during this election time. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, I did plan to pray over our, the word in our service, but we just, it just got taken over. Pro- probably a message from our sponsor. All right. We're in a sermon series called The Light in the Darkness based on Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, and we've seen that the writer of the book of Revelation is the Apostle John, who is very close to the Lord Jesus. We see this throughout the Gospels. We know that John was in his mid-90s. He was the last living apostle at this time. He was exiled to the island of Patmos as a political prisoner because he was unwilling to worship the emperor Domitian who claimed that he was God, and he demanded at least once a year that every citizen and non-citizen, anybody under the Roman province or his power, would come and bring a sacrifice to him. This guy was really something. And we know that John was spiritually stubborn as it gets, and he was unwilling to compromise, and this is why most believe that he was um, exiled to the island of Patmos, which is basically a prison island. And it was there he was 16 months, and we know he wrote the book of Revelation during that time because, or at least he, with his assistant, uh, received the message because he had a vision of Jesus. We, we walked through chapter 1. Jesus gives John a message for the seven prominent churches of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. We talked about the church in Ephesus and how they had lost their first love, and today we're going to continue our study in Revelation chapter 2 with a message I'm calling Faithful to the End as we look at the church in Smyrna. And here's what 
The Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to go to verse 8, and only read to verse 11, which, by the way, does not mean that my message will be shorter. (laughs) Just an FYI. Verse 8, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and they are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death. That's where we're getting our message title today. Be faithful unto the end. And I will give you the crown of life. Verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. A little bit of context for the city of Smyrna to understand the church that is there. We know that Smyrna is the next city on the postal route following Ephesus, about 35, 40 miles north from where Ephesus is. Population of about 100,000, which is about Federal Way. And the church there is quite small. Our church northwest is uh, a lot bigger than the church at Smyrna would have been. So we have many churches in Federal Way, a city of 100,000. They had one, the church in Smyrna, and it was quite small in comparison. There's a history of this city being destroyed by earthquakes and fires. In fact, the city had been rebuilt many, many times. You can read real quick history about how the city had been destroyed by a pretty massive earthquake a couple years before Jesus was born, but then it had been rebuilt. And so you have this city that has got resilient people that, that are willing to rebuild their city time and time again. These people are going to be tough for sure. There are many gods and goddesses for the pagan religions, lots of temples, shrines, and statutes. In fact, there was a shrine or a statue to Domitian. This is where they would actually bring their sacrifice once a year. And again, this is just history shows us how committed they were to the pagan religions of their day, the gods that they worshipped. There was a, actually a street of gold from the temple of Zeus to the temple of Cybele. There was a, te- a, a road of gold. That's really something. While pagan religions dominated the life in Smyrna, there was also a thriving Jewish community there. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Jesus references the Jews and how they were treating the church in Smyrna. But Smyrna was a free city. They governed themselves, but they were intensely loyal to Rome. That's important to know. Rome did not allow cities to do this. Well, the reason that they did is because this was one of the few cities that had the imperial cult. I mean, they literally worshipped Domitian. I mean, they loved Rome so much that Rome left them to themselves to self-govern. This is not normal. In fact, you won't find this for very many cities. There was one story that you could read about where the people of Smyrna actually took the shirts and the clothes off themselves and sent that to the Roman soldiers on the battlefield with food. That's how loyal they were. I mean, they would take an offering for those that were fighting in, the, in Rome. And we see this throughout their history. There was a struggling church there, a persecuted church. This was not the only suffering church of the seven. We've, we've read about Ephesus. Jesus had a complaint. He had a correction 
to Ephesus. And of the seven churches, five of them receive a complaint and a correction from Jesus, but two of them don't. And this is one of them. Jesus has no complaint or correction to them. And it's interesting because of those seven, this one and the church in Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, they don't receive those corrections because both of them are suffering. And don't you know that when the church is suffering, they can be refined? We sang about it today, didn't we? Refine, refine us in the fire until the fire comes and we're not singing so loudly. Sounds like a good song, but these guys were really going through a refiner's fire. Not just general suffering, which we all go through, but specific persecution for being Christians, which we'll talk about. And so instead of going through the commendation and the correction of the Lord, we're going to look at the commendation, the challenge, and the promise of Jesus found here in these words. And first, we start with the commendation of Jesus. In verse 8 and 9, we read, we'll read it again. It says this, and to the angel the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but a synagogue of Satan. We've already looked at this, but let me remind you, the word here for angel is also literally translated messenger. So we believe, most do, that this was not meant for a celestial being, an angel of the Lord, although there are many angels referenced in the book of Revelation. We certainly believe that angels are real. We see that throughout Scripture, and they have not gone away. The angels of the Lord are real. But this is talking about the pastors of the churches in these cities. So Jesus gave a message to John, and John was going to deliver that message to the special messengers or the pastors, the leaders of the churches in those cities. And I've talked to you about how the pastor would gather the church, and they would gather around, and, and can you imagine, they had a message from Jesus. The pastor would say, this message was delivered by John, but it's from the Lord Jesus. Wouldn't that be a great Sunday if I showed up and I told you, well, if I did tell you that, you may not come back next week. You might revoke your membership, and uh, we might just be... Dixon Northwest Church at that point. <laughs> but we know that this message was specific. Jesus had a specific message for the pastor to read to the congregation. And he says this specifically to them. Number one, I know your tribulation. I'm not, he's not saying, I just know about. We looked in chapter one and Jesus uses these words. I'm in the midst of the golden lampstands. That's the churches. Jesus says, I'm in the midst that, those words are very clear. It's not, I'm on the outskirts, I'm watching from heaven, I'm in the midst of the church, I'm, I'm right here, I see what you're going through, I, I'm intimately acquainted, not just read the story or read a book, got the email, he's saying, I'm in the midst, I'm right here, I know all of your difficulties, all of your tribulation. These are powerful, these are comforting words to a suffering church. They hear from the Lord Jesus. I know all about what you're going through, and I'm right there. I'm right there. They needed to hear this. The word tribulation, John uses several times, and it's a word that references a burden that is crushing or debilitating. Most often, it's connected to extreme hostility or torture. The Romans loved their torture. In fact, this word, the earliest use of this 
original word, this Greek word that we read as an English word, tribulation. The earliest use of it would describe a form of torture where Roman authorities would bind a person accused of a crime and they would hang a boulder over them after they laid them on their back. And the boulder would be tied by a rope and they would continue to lower it until they would recant or they would confess their crime. If they hadn't confessed it, they would lower it until they confessed. If they had confessed it, they would, this would be caused to recant their crime. And so you can imagine this boulder lowering, lowering until the full pressure, the full weight, they felt it. And if they did not recant or confess their crime, they cut the rope and it would crush them. This is what the word was used, this word tribulation. So its reference is more like pressure. Jesus is saying, I know the pressure that you're under, and it's just trying to squeeze the life out of you. I'm well acquainted with this. I understand it. I'm right there with you. What kind of tribulation were they experiencing? Well, we know at least two kinds. One is already mentioned. I know your poverty. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the second is persecution from both Jew and Gentile. Initially, it's important to know because he talks about the Jews that say they're Jews, but they are not. They're a synagogue of Satan. What's Jesus talking about? Well, initially, the the Christians were identified with Jews and Judaism. And so some time had passed, so now the Jews felt that it was necessary to distance themselves from those that followed the way, those that were Christians. They are not of us. How did they do that? Well, they accused them to the Roman authorities. They accused them of all kinds of crimes. Mainly, the Jews would capitulate often, even though they had exemptions and not having to follow certain forms of worship, they did often capitulate and compromise. But when they could distinguish or have a distinction between them and the Christians, the Christians aren't part of Judaism, they don't have an exemption in the city. Once they could do that, now they can accuse them that they're not worshiping the emperor. And as a result of that, they would lose their status in the city, they would lose their homes sometimes, and many times they would lose their life. There's a great history of people losing their life in this city because of their faith in Christ. This explains the language where Jesus says, the slander of those who say they are Jews, but they are not. They're a synagogue of Satan. The Hebrew origin of the word Satan means adversary or accuser. Jesus is suggesting that humans can and do manifest the work of the enemy. Let me say that again because Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6. The way that the enemy works is by lying to people, sowing thoughts into their mind, which we do not have to believe, but unregenerate, non-Christian people who do not have the Holy Spirit, are not following the ways of Jesus, will buy the lie and they will think that they're doing what is right by compelling or persecuting those that do not agree with them. This is not changed. The work of the enemy is still alive and well today, and it is not Halloween, ladies and gentlemen. It's not some horned person knocking on your door, I'm Lucifer, and I want some candy, or some horror flick, you know, that that's what the enemy is like. The Bible says that the enemy will present himself as an angel of light. The Bible says in Ephesians 6 that our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. What does that mean? That means every structure that is not controlled by the Lord Jesus Christ. That obviously means every structure. Uh Uh-oh. I mean, I'm not talking today about the donkey or the elephant, but I could. We're talking about the lamb. Amen. 
Come on. I couldn't have made that happen. You did, you did good. You did good today. No matter what else you do today, you did good. You already, that's all you needed to do. That was it. Sorry, Mom, I'm speaking for you. I didn't mean it. The enemy works by sowing lies. Non-Christian, and even sometimes Christian, will believe those lies. And as a result of it, do the work of the enemy. And we see that. And so Jesus is saying to the church here, I, I see what is happening to you. I see the accusations. I see that your property is being confiscated. I see that you're going to prison. I see that, listen, I'm proud of you because in the middle of your persecution, you're not compromising. You're in the world and you're not of the world. I see it and I'm proud of you. Yes, you feel the pressure. Yes, it's real. Yes, it's difficult. But I'm proud of you because you're suffering, but you're suffering well. Did you know that you can suffer well? Yeah. It's not, I mean, everybody has general suffering, but when you go through persecution, the way we do that shows the Christ that we follow. Oftentimes, there are other messages today that are talked about as Christian, and they're trying to get us away from or out of the suffering that is often inevitable when you follow Christ. And as a result, I think it gives people an excuse to not be Christ-like. Well, far be it from us. We have to follow Jesus no matter what our lot in life might bring. So the first type of tribulation is persecution. The second is poverty. And he says, I know your poverty. And there are typically two Greek words that are used throughout the Bible to denote poverty. The first one is like what would be considered a slave's wage. We call that today like the working poor. And this just means that a person only barely has enough money to make it. They can eat. They have a place to sleep, but that's it. They've got nothing beyond that. I know your poverty. Guess what? That's not this word. The word that's used here is used for extreme poverty, talking about homelessness, scrounging for food. I see your extreme poverty. I see it. I know that this. Why were they in extreme poverty? They had in the city called, these things called trade guilds. We would call them unions. They had them for carpenters and blacksmiths and gold workers and all those who fashioned idols. They had trades during this time, trade unions, trade guilds. They were controlled by pagans. And so the Christians couldn't be a part of these trade guilds. Why? Because they started with worship services. They were always giving worship unto all of these other deities. And so the Christians, just out of sheer allegiance to God, and to the Lord Jesus Christ, I can't be a part of this. I can't be a part of these trade guilds. Well, it was a buddy system. If you were not a part of the trade union, you didn't get a job. And if you don't get a job, you don't eat. And so Jesus says, I know your extreme poverty. The reason that they had poverty was because they were being faithful to Jesus. So it's important to hear from Jesus that he knows, that he sees that he's there. This is the word that's used, extreme poverty poverty. Christians could not be a part of these pagan practices, and so God is absolutely proud of his church. Christians were faithful. They gave their allegiance to Jesus, but look what he says. He says, you may seem poor, you may be in extreme poverty, but you are rich. I'm going to read that again. You are rich, yet you are rich. On the outside, it looks like one thing, but the truth is that you're rich. 
Well, man, this is an interesting word as well. The word rich isn't just that you're well-off and you're well-to-do and you're doing pretty good and you got a little more than others. This word rich, just like the word poverty, is used for extreme riches. So on one hand, he's saying, I know your extreme poverty. And on the other hand, yet you are really, really seriously rich. I mean, you are loaded. You own the bank, not just got a lot of money in the bank, you know. But this is a mindset shift, and it tells us the principle here is that it's not about how much money you have in the bank or your status and your title in the world around you or what other people think of you. Jesus is clearly saying that when you follow me, you are richer than anybody else. When you do what is right, when you live a righteous life, When you're in the world and you're not of the world, when you're unwilling to compromise, when you're living under pressure and persecution and you aren't going to take the easy road, you are rich and they needed to hear that. The suffering church needed to hear that. You are rich. This is an issue of perspective. We fear suffering and persecution, yet we see that the church that suffered the most, stayed faithful, and they were actually in the better condition spiritually. I think we need that perspective, don't you? We need to understand that when things don't go seemingly right in our life, that does not mean that we are not in the will of God. We need to understand that when the pressure comes and it's not alleviated, that that could be the very fire of the Lord that purifies us that we just sang about. Friends, listen, we sing about this stuff. Lord, I want to be refined in the fire. Lord, turn up the heat. Lord, make it hot. Make it hot. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Come on, Lord. They said there was somebody else in there, and I think that was your way of just saying that I was supposed to jump right in there too. I'm the fourth wheel. Gosh, put me in the fire. Turn up the furnace. I'm not ashamed. I'm not afraid. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to be tried in the fire. Hmm. I know your poverty, yet you are rich. I think what we need to learn and glean from this church and what Jesus said to them is that we need that perspective. I don't, I don't know what everybody's life is like in this room. I don't know what you've had to suffer for Jesus. We all have general suffering. We all go through loss. Some of us lost jobs. Some of us have a little and some of us have a lot. I I don't know the general suffering, the physical suffering that you've gone through. And let me just tell you this, okay? Sometimes we read this and we go, well, my suffering is nothing like their suffering. It doesn't even compare. So God doesn't really, you know, care as much about what I'm going through. Lie. (laughs) You like how I did that? It was great. Lie. It's not true. Don't do that to yourself. Here's, Here's the reality. Every time we suffer or go through difficulty, if we give it to Jesus, he smiles at us. You say, Ben, why are you wearing a suit today? Well, thank you for noticing. (laughs) I'm wearing a suit today because yesterday we had a funeral and uh, some friends of of mine. And two weeks ago, they they woke up, they're making breakfast and they have four kids and their four-year-old was lying on the bed and she had a little bit of an enlarging tonsil and a little bit of strep throat. They were going to take her to the doctor that day. Nothing abnormal for a four-year-old. And they came back to the bed, and their four-year-old was no longer alive. 
suffering. So your church, our church, they don't go here. They live down in Olympia. We offered to do the funeral. And really, one of the greatest things we can do in other people's suffering is just offer to take care of stuff that's in their peripheral. Let's just take care of the things that people don't know how to figure out when they go through this kind of pain. We don't need to have the right thing to say. Just, just be hands and feet of Jesus. That's probably the most compelling compelling thing for people that go through pain. Well, these are people that I hadn't seen for a while, but my wife and I used to meet with them quite regularly, part of our life back in our old church several years ago. And so six of us on staff at least were here. We showed up and we just facilitated a uh, memorial for a four-year-old who was beautiful, beautiful Joel. Loved Jesus, loved to dance, full of joy, aggressive hugger, she went to be with the Lord, and I watched this family give their suffering to Jesus. So in honor of her, I'm still wearing my suit. They gave their suffering to Jesus. See, you can choose when you go through this kind of suffering, you can choose to walk away from God, and I've seen it. I've watched people who don't get their answers. They say, well, I, this can't... God can't be real, and God seemingly doesn't care about what I'm going through. Friends, listen, God loves us. He loves us, and he loves us in the middle of our pain and our suffering. You say, Ben, prove it. Six of us were there. This whole group, of community of people were there. That's God through us loving them. We're always looking for this ethereal thing, like God come down and tell me why. We're on site, we're here, we're loving them, not charging them anything to do this, we're just, we're just here for them. We spend too much time asking why. Listen, we, this is an eternal thing that we're a part of. It's sad, it's difficult, it's hurtful, it's confusing, but I watch them give their pain to Jesus. It's beautiful. It's hurtful, it's painful, but it's beautiful, right? How else? You can't explain this stuff, can you? It's beyond our comprehension, it's beyond our understanding. But let me just tell you that when you give your pain and you give your confusion and you give your tribulation, whatever you go through, when you give that to Jesus, he smiles on you. He smiles on you. He's proud of you. And yes, they went through tribulation because of their faith in Christ. And many of us will, to some degree, go through that. And we don't know how far that will go. But we need to be faithful until the end, no matter what happens in our life. No matter what comes into your life, every day we make a commitment to Jesus to give him everything. And that means our pain. That means the level of tribulation that comes into our life. For some of you, it's more, and some of you, it's less. It doesn't matter because you're not doing it for each other. You're doing it for Jesus. I will follow you. I will claim allegiance to you no matter what comes. So we give our pain, we give our process, we give our tribulation to him. He sees it all. We walk now into the challenge of Jesus from the commendation to the challenge. Revelation 2 and verse 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. That 10 days is a reference. It's a biblical reference for just a short period of time rather than long. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Two things he says here. The first is do not be afraid of suffering. 
as if what they had already experienced wasn't enough, Jesus says more is on the way. Think about that. You get the message from Jesus and maybe you think, okay, he's going to say that your time of tribulation is over. And you know what he says? Quite the opposite. He says, don't be afraid of the new kind of suffering that's coming. Listen, it was their faithfulness to God that caused the persecution that they're experiencing. And it is their faithfulness to God that is going to keep them close to Jesus while they suffer. It's an amazing thing. But they were faithful, and he's saying to them, do not be afraid of suffering. Why would he say that? Because we can be afraid with the fear of death, the fear of the unknown, the fear of pain. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. It actually marks the church. Suffering marks the church. Not just that we suffer, but how we suffer. That you and I can still live in joy, unspeakable, that doesn't make sense. That we can still have a sense of peace, right? That is above and beyond all comprehension. How can we have peace like a river in my soul when it's difficult? How? Because Jesus gives it to us. And no circumstance or person can take what Jesus gives unless we let them. Only the giver can take it away. He says, don't be afraid of suffering. This is part of what marks you. Well, Jesus and the apostles have said this before. In fact, they promise to us that we will suffer. Look what Jesus says in John 16, I have said these things to you that, you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have pressure, crushing, debilitating pressure. This will come. But listen to what he says. John 16, another translation says, I have said this to you in advance to prepare you for the decision that you must make. What is Jesus doing? What is the Bible for? The Bible prepares us to live the Christian life no matter what comes our way. Do you know what? Suffering is on the way, but Jesus has already told us what we need to know no matter what comes. We're here, we're being equipped today. If we have ears to hear, do you hear what they said? If, the, if you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, suffering is on the way. We don't wanna hear that. Sometimes church becomes that place and unfortunately, even in our Americanism, and I mean no disrespect, but there are so many churches out there that will preach this prosperity type of gospel. And they just have to literally wash out verses like this. This idea that, you know, we, when we give our life to Jesus, is, is your life bad? Does everything suck in your life? Are you poor? Are you at the end of your rope? Why don't you try Jesus? And then what? Then you're going to have everything that you truly were created for. Hopefully that's the message. Hopefully the message is eternal life. Hopefully the message is not that you're going to get everything you ever wanted. He's a genie in a bottle and you just say the right thing, rub the the lamp the right way, and wazoom, you're going to get it all, baby. You're going to get it all. Hit the jackpot. The lottery has shown up. No, that is the message that gets preached a lot of times. And there's no wonder why there are so many Christians that are disillusioned when it isn't the case. 
Because they're not reading the words in red. They're not reading about the real Jesus or what Jesus said. And so when the going gets tough, everybody starts to run. Jesus is calling his church to be resilient, committed, loyal, in allegiance to him no matter what comes. Faithful until the end. Is he worth it? He is. He's worth it. If I'm poor, if I'm rich, if I'm sick, if I'm healthy. Come on, you said that to your spouse, some of you. But do we mean it to Jesus? Oh, I'll be a Christian as long as I get what I want. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? We, we don't always take the responsibility that we must take in our own sin. The planet is broken because of what we've done. There's a new heavens and a new earth coming because of what he's done. Let's not forget that. Every question we have, why? With the pain. It's because of human beings. We are suffering the plight of our own hand. And so it may not be the direct sin of your own, but it is the sin of another. Human beings are causing human beings to suffer. And it is a trickle-down effect. Years and years and years. We call this generational iniquity. We all experience it. And we blame him for it half the time. It's not right. Jesus says, don't be afraid of suffering. You're above that. You're stronger than that. Why? Because I've created you for eternity. What I've given to you is so powerful and so precious, it goes beyond this life. Oh, man. <laughs> Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. I just, I read that and I thought, did he have to say fiery? Could he just said trial? Don't be afraid of the fiery trial. Thank you, Peter. When it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. Don't be surprised when difficulty comes, when you say yes to Jesus and you're all in and not everybody else is so excited. Not everybody else is, is, is trying to figure out all that you got. Don't, don't be surprised. The fiery trials will come. It's, it's natural for us to want to avoid suffering, to be afraid of it, but we cannot be afraid. And Jesus tells us in advance, what's he doing? He's preparing us. What is church doing today? I am preparing you for difficulties that are inevitable. Don't resist it. Don't try to get out of it. Suffer well. Give your suffering to Jesus and watch what he'll do. The world sees the way that we act. People that aren't believers, they see the way that we act. Are we giving our suffering to Jesus? Listen, if we do, we're going to see great things happening. Fear always leads us to compromise. And this church is a witness to us not to fear in the face of difficulty. The second thing Jesus says here in his challenge to this church, stay faithful unto physical death. Do not be afraid. Stay faithful. Do not give up. Do not give in no matter how far it goes because Jesus is worth it. This is a call to have enduring faith, which is more necessary when things get difficult. Enduring faith. Sometimes we think about faith like, Quality, is my faith good enough? Or quantity, do I have enough? What about duration? The duration of faith. To stay faithful until the end. That's the call. You may struggle through, is my faith good enough? The quality, or is my, is my faith enough? The quantity, but listen, it's all about the duration. To stay faithful every step of the way. This is the call. And listen, we're gonna need that. I'm looking right at you. And I love, I say that in the nicest possible way. We're going to need that kind of faith. 
the promise of Jesus. So we have the commendation, we have the challenge, we have the promise of Jesus. What does he promise them? Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. I will give you the crown of life. We need to know that there's a crown beyond the cross. We're all going to stand before Jesus and the first thing we're going to answer is, what did, you do with, what did you do with Jesus? When we stand before God, what did you do with Jesus? Did you say yes to him? If you did, right, we pass over the second death. But let me tell you this. The way that we live in this life is what causes the rewards that we have in the next. Don't let anybody tell you different. Sometimes we have a misunderstanding about grace. Grace, we are saved by grace through faith. That is salvation, but there are rewards in the life that is to come. Believe that. It's very scriptural. And it's not about salvation. It's about how we walked out our salvation. And Jesus himself is going to hand out those rewards because some will stay faithful and some will give all of their life to Jesus. Some will be witnesses and some will barely get in. Do you want to be the person that barely got in? No. No. I'm going to answer that for you. No. I will give you the crown of life. This was not a crown that a king would wear. This was the crown that an athlete would, would receive after their victory. This is a crown of victory. Paul calls this the crown of life in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The promise of Jesus is, I will give you the crown of life, but this speaks of eternal life. This is what Jesus paid for. We often allow the temporary to cloud the eternal, and Jesus reminds us that there is more than just this life. Let me give you a reminder today. There is more than just this life. There is more than 2020. There is more than the coronavirus. There is more than what we are experiencing. And maybe what we're going through right now is also trying to prepare us so that we would live as Christians that we're called to be. Let's not waste any trial, whether it is a direct result of how we're living for Christ or as we live for Christ, we can use this time not to act like a non-Christian, but to act like somebody that truly follows Jesus. That's what we ought to look like, and we, won't, we don't want to waste this moment, honestly. And maybe you're here and you're like, man, I'm discouraged. Could you please not keep discouraging me? Could you just knock it off, Pastor Ben? No, I don't want to. No, no. You and I need to be prepared in truth for the right things. And it's that false kind of Christianity that's trying to tell us that, oh man, why am I so disillusioned? I'm so confused. I thought Christianity was supposed to be better than this. It's eternal. It's way better than this. It is better than your best day of your entire life. It is better than the culmination of all of your best days. What Jesus has given us is eternal. He did not go to a cross to give us some temporary feel good, some goosebumps when we raise our hands in a charismatic worship service. He went to the cross to pay the price for death so that we could live forever. And we can't be confused. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? Did you give your life to Jesus? And once you gave your life to Jesus, does your life look like Jesus? Every day is an opportunity to follow him faithfully, wholeheartedly, every day. This church is a witness to you and I. This church is a witness to you and I of how to be faithful no matter what happens. Sometimes we read this and we go, 
Pastor Ben, I, I don't relate to that at all. I mean, this is, this is like a story that I don't get. I mean, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm just somebody that lives in federal way. I work a full-time job. I've got a family. I can't even control them most of the time, you know, trying to get by. I don't, I don't understand the suffering church. They're losing their jobs. They're losing their property. They're losing their lives. I don't relate to that. Well, listen, 50,000, 60,000 people a year are martyred for Christ, maybe more. Those are just the ones that we hear about through the voice of martyrs and others. This is, this is not some ancient reality. This is a current reality. When people who are Muslims decide to follow Christ, especially in a Muslim country, and they get baptized, the reason that they think about their baptism so deeply is because they know getting into those waters, that identification with Christ could cost their life. Be reminded of that today. I see some shirts. I know what you guys are doing. I love it. Let's unite our hearts to the persecuted church today. Say, if it's not me, it doesn't mean it's not us. If it's not me, it does not mean that it's not us. It is us across the world. I had an uh, opportunity that was really one of the honors of my life. I, I, I got used to <laughs> until I came to you. I used to travel and go all over and uh, minister. I don't really miss it. I'm, I'm, I mean, if God wants me to do that, great. But I really love, honestly, I love being here. I mean, this is, this is it. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking forward to heaven, for heaven to open every time we gather. I'm serious. It's a, we baptized 10, 11 people last night. I mean, I, I just sat there and thought, come on. This is it's obedience. Got all these kids in here watching that. You know what happens when kids watch? obedience, they want to obey. Yeah, they've got to see it. They've got to see it. They can't just be told. They've got to see obedience to Christ, and then it does something in, in their life as well. So, I mean, I'm all in, and, but I used to travel, and I'd go all over the country. I had 200-something churches. I, I've ministered in all kinds of places. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. We are not ugly. <laughs> Principle number one. But I got invited to speak in a, another nation. I'll leave the information out, but I got invited to speak to a, in another nation, another country, and at a pastor's conference. About 500 pastors, and they bring all their families, and they do this once a year if they can afford to do it. They usually have to have a generous donor or benefactor to make this happen. Impoverished country for the most part, and so me and another friend, we go there, and it's like a thing where you're going to preach all week. You're just going to preach all week. You're going to pour. Well, they didn't invite me just to preach. They wanted me to pray. And so I would pray for hours a day, literally, like you're just, you're, you're praying for like six hours. There was one time we prayed for like six hours, prayed for 200 people straight. And the hunger, people were pushing their kids in, through the line. I mean, I don't know ethically if that was the right thing to do, but they were pushing their children. They wanted their kids to receive prophecy and, and have hands laid on them and receive the anointing. It was really powerful. And I remember during that time, I mean, I'm, when I travel... No matter this nation or another, I'm very specific about what I eat. And, and because I've had horrible stories, all right? We'll leave it there. But I know my stomach, and so I don't eat a lot when I travel and minister, and I'm really, really careful. Even like today, I don't eat before I minister. I, I just have to be very careful so that I can be focused and, and light and all, all that. And I've, I've learned my lessons anyways. Uh, and so there was this woman, and she was a part of the pastor's conference, and 
were preaching, and they were bringing me water. I needed the water to stay alive because half the time, you have to wear a suit, but half the time, I felt like it was just like 800 people watching this white American man sweat through his clothes, <laughs> and nobody else was sweating, and I just thought, this is so ironic. Like, how is this even happening right now? And it just, I just felt so vulnerable because I, I just looked like a mess, right, you know? Um, but this woman, she wanted to serve me and my friend, um, and she was aggressive. I mean, she was like too much to me. It was like, whoa, calm it down. Like, hey, what can I get you? And I'm going to make you lunch. And I'm like, I don't eat lunch. I have a protein bar and a banana, and that's it. But she wouldn't take no for an answer. And she was so aggressive that it made me uncomfortable. I've had plenty of aggressive people trying to serve me food on the road and all that. And usually they stop at a certain point, but not her. And so we're walking back to where we're going to eat, and the leader of, of the whole gathering, he looks over at me and he says, because the woman was being aggressive and she went to go make me food I did not want, and he looks over at me and he says, this woman here that's serving you, who wants, who's being aggressive, he said it a different way, I'm using my word, she was just a few months ago that in their village up north, her husband was the pastor of their church in their village, and they meet in a home. And uh, some people from another religion in that village came and killed her husband in front of everybody during her worship service. He was martyred for his faith right in front of everybody. And this is what he's telling me as we're walking to have lunch. And he said, in the next week, she became the pastor. And she's been looking forward to this pastor's conference for these last couple months. In fact, usually in that part of the country, they make about this much money, and it costs about half of what they make in a month to get here, which is why we have somebody cover the cost of this even happening. And I'm, <laughs> the longer we're walking, the horrible I feel, you know, I'm just like. But I realize that in just one moment, my whole mindset changed. And I, listen, I ate everything she made me from there on out. And no, I was not comfortable. My stomach was very... I ate everything that she made me. She... Persecution of the most extreme level, okay? I met someone that had experienced persecution of the most extreme level. I'm looking at her in the face, and all she wants to do is serve me food. All she wants to do is serve me food. She waited for months to be able to be a part of this, to sit through... I know you don't want me to go an hour, but I was preaching three or four times a day, and an hour was not enough each time. It was unbelievable to me, and my mindset just sort of shifted, and the Lord touched my heart, just touched my heart through this woman and her commitment to Christ, her commitment to Christ. It wasn't even a thought. The next week, they, they killed her husband to diminish the church, to extinguish the church in that area. And you know what happens? The next week, she's the pastor, and the church thrives and flourishes. What am I saying? To honor her, I am saying that what the enemy wants to do through whomever to extinguish the church, when he tries to do it, it is the opposite effect. And church history shows us. This woman, this woman is a testimony to us. That you can't stop what God started. On Wednesday, we were worshiping, and um, 
We had 100 people in the room, and then we had 100 people online. Just, just a couple hundred of us on Wednesday, we were worshiping. We only have like a couple songs, and then I teach for far too long. But during that time, I was over here like I always am, and, and I'm worshiping, you know, because God's doing something special right now in, in, in my heart. I, I don't know if it's true for you, and I won't project that, but for me, God's doing something special in my heart at this time during this 2020 season. I've turned a corner. My heart has just gotten softer to the Lord for me. And I'm over here, and I've got my mask on, you know, <laughs> and I'm singing, and the droplets are flying in the mask, and, you know, all the. <laughs> and I look over, and I see everybody, and I, I, I think I have my glasses off, so I can't see if man, woman, Wookiee, I can't tell who's who. <laughs> you know, I can't tell what's going on, but, but I look over, and I see people, and they're, they're worshiping, and and, you know, we have this, these modified requirements. We have these things that, you know, you've got to space out and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And I know you're annoyed by all that. And I can't wait till it's over. Okay, you could say amen. Let's get over with that. Okay, I can't, I can't wait till it's over. But, but I just thought to myself, you know, the fact that we're willing to be inconvenienced and worship anyways. Maybe some of us are in the chapel right now. And you might say, why would I come on the property and be in the chapel. I'll just go home. You know, these are the things that we do. I'm not, you do what you need to do, but we do these to be together. You come online and you, you're joining us online because we're together, we're a family, whether you can come in or not. That's not what I, my point, but we're willing to, to, to do these strange things if we have to, but we're not gonna stop worshiping. We're not gonna stop serving. These, these are not symbols of stopping us to do anything unless something in here is telling us that's what that has to be. I, I looked at our church and I just thought, we are willing to serve God through the inconveniences. We're going to worship God through the inconvenience. I'm screaming. I'm yelling. There's no joyful noise unto the Lord. There's no great sound coming out of my muffled mask. <laughs> but I felt like God touched my heart and he showed me the beauty in it showed me the beauty in it. I, maybe you don't see it. That's fine. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just, maybe you don't see it. But I saw the beauty in pushing past the inconvenience and giving him worship no matter what. That's what I saw. And he touched my heart. And I've turned a corner. I'm not mad. I'm not sad. I'm just thankful to God for where I'm at and what I've got. And I've got you. And we're doing this together and the enemy can't stop us. No matter what, whether it's an inconvenience or it's suffering, what we're going to do is give it to the Lord, and you can't stop what God has started. You can't stop what God has started unless you let it, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning, and I'm going to ask you to join your heart to the persecuted church around the world. Would you do that? I'm going to pray for you as well because our suffering and our struggles matter to God too. I'm not putting any of that down. Wherever you're at, wherever I'm at, we don't put that down. But right now, let's join our hearts with those all over the world that are going through what the church at Smyrna has gone through right now. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus 
for your church worldwide. And we join our hearts with our brothers and sisters in every nation of the earth. Those that are suffering, those that are struggling, those that are impoverished beyond belief, those that are hidden, not seen by others, those that have to go through extreme circumstances that we may not understand right now. But Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters. We ask for your provision. We pray for your protection. God, we pray for righteousness in their land. Lord, we pray that the Spirit of God would be poured out in the nation that they're in. We pray that you would multiply the efforts and their energy. They're giving you the work of their hands. The prayers that they're praying, oh God, we pray that you would hear them. We pray that you would send revival in the villages, in the cities, in the towns, in the nations that they're in. Lord, we join our hearts to the body of Christ worldwide. And Lord, we pray big prayers because you're a big God and you hear us when we pray right here in Federal Way, Washington. We pray, God, for the nations of the earth. We ask, Lord, that in 2020, there would be a move of your spirit that would sweep through nations that people have forgotten and let go of and thought that they are not going to have a move of the Spirit, we pray in those nations in the 1040 window that we would see something like we have never seen before. And we thank you for the hands and the feet that are there. Would you empower them? Would you send more to where they are? Thank you, God. We are on mission with you and all those around the world. And now I pray, Lord, for Northwest Church. I ask you, that no matter what we're going through, experiencing whatever suffering it might be, whether it's because of persecution or being in the world and not of it, or it's just the general suffering that we're facing, the losses, the difficulty, the discouragement, the mental health challenges, whatever it is right now, I pray that you would come alongside us today in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I ask you, Lord, that you would accompany us in such a powerful way that you would deliver our hearts from disappointment and discouragement. And we could turn the corner in 2020 far before anything ever is over. Lord, may those things be over inside of us before they're ever over outside of us. Because we follow you and we give it all to you. So I pray, God, for courage. I pray for encouragement. I pray for healing. I pray for deliverance. I pray for comfort for each one of us right where we are. And we trust and know that you're, you're sending that right as we pray. And we receive that today in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.